Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. Just a quick note before we jump in. We had some audio issues at the end of the sermon, so you're going to notice the audio changes at the end. Um, That's because we had to record the ending of the sermon in post again. Um, We're doing these outside gatherings, and we've got everything set up, I think, now for the future, so we won't have this issue again. We have a backup recording as well, but the camera overheated, and so the audio started to go in and out. But we've got everything ready for this next week, so hopefully you won't have any more weird audio going forward. Now, let's jump into the sermon. All right, we're going to get into the word Nehemiah 6. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim, in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. It was written, It is reported among the nations, in Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you were inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hand will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? What man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul, in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son, Jehoanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the daughter of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. I'm going to invite Billy Glosson, our lead pastor, to come up and pray for him. And uh, we'll get into the word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I'm reminded of it um, when the sun is shining uh, on my face and on Billy's face uh, right here. I'm reminded of it sitting in the shade and getting to be with my family as we worship together with our collective family here at Coram Deo. 
I pray that we would take in this long word today, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds and challenge us and exhort us where it is necessary and where it is hard. I pray that um, you would give Billy wisdom and peace as he, uh, as he battles the sun and preaching the word to us. And I just pray that in all things we would be grateful for you and the way that scripture tells your story. And that story would sink deep into our hearts and convict us in the way that we think, in the way that we live, in the way that we act, and that we would be more gospel-minded as a result of this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Nehemiah 6, and I get to preach to you guys. Man, I look awesome because I have to wear sunglasses because it is. we are really taking our name serious. So Coram Deo means before the face of God, and that's what I feel like right now as I stare directly into the sun. Um, so again, we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're kind of just walking through this together. And man, I could just say that probably the great theme of this chapter could be haters gonna hate, right? Because that seems to be what's happening with Nehemiah. Everywhere he's turning, there seems to be another attack. Now again, we've walked through this over the last several weeks. There have been all of these different things that have happened to the people of Israel, specifically to Nehemiah, facing opposition. And here he receives a number of personal attacks. So let me say this. If you've had a horrible week, this chapter's for you, right? It just is. Nehemiah has not only encountered many trials, but by God's grace, he's able now to endure and press on in this mission. This is what Eugene Peterson calls long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. And this chapter is an illustration for us of that important principle of endurance for the Christian life. For three straight weeks now, again, we have seen threats and ridicule opposition in chapter 4. Nehemiah deals with it through prayer and practical security measures. Then in chapter 5, after there was opposition from the outside, now there's internal opposition, right? Nehemiah deals with this by addressing those who were taking advantage of the impoverished. He addresses them directly, publicly, biblically, and he sets a proper example for them. And now in chapter 6, there's opposition directed personally at Nehemiah. Right In chapter 6, the enemies are trying to sack the quarterback, as it were. They're trying to take Nehemiah out of the game. If you can knock the QB out, then you can usually win the game, and that's their thought. If we get rid of Nehemiah, then this wall is not going to be an issue. Here's the deal. If you and I, right, if we desire to live a godly life, if we are going to attempt to do something great for God, for the good of people, and for the glory of God, guess what we can expect? Opposition. We can expect opposition. These enemy, these enemies that Nehemiah faces, they're evil, right? J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, Nehemiah's narrative of opposition to the building of the wall should be understood in terms of Satan's hidden hand of hatred to the work of God. How might you and I endure the schemes of the enemy? Right? I think many of us have felt the pressure of opposition. How do I maintain faith? in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of so many crises, how do I trust in the goodness and grace of God? How do we endure these schemes? Well, I think we find several lessons and encouragements from this chapter. Perhaps the overarching one is this. 
Nehemiah does not cave into the fears of the enemy because he fears God more. He fears God more. His great and awesome God grants him strength, wisdom, and resolve to endure. Now, there are four schemes that I want to look at this morning. These are all different fear tactics to take Nehemiah out, right? The verb frighten is repeated over and over in this chapter. The schemes of the enemy were intended to intimidate Nehemiah, just like the enemy wants to do to you and I. Nehemiah shows you and I that by fearing God, by fearing Him supremely, we can view all other fears rightly and we can press on faithfully. We sing it all the time, right? Amazing grace. Grace has taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. He says the good hand of God is upon me. And it is. And that enables him to handle these fears. Hear what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who you and I should fear. So let's kind of jump into the text and let's see what's happening here. The first thing we see is deception, right? The first four verses. What's happening here is they're saying, hey, let's lure Nehemiah into a meeting. It says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. We'll stop right there. Here's the deal. They're relentless. The wall's going up. Right? Everything but the gate is built. So this is an important time. Right? And then verse 2 says, Come meet us in the plain of Ono, which is 20 miles north of Jerusalem. Hey, come meet us way far away from Jerusalem. You should just leave. The, they move from taunts. Right? They're not standing outside the wall now yelling taunts. Now they're going to political intrigue. Hey, let's hold a political conference. Let's have a summit. You know, let's come together. Let's, let's talk about this. And it must have been tempting, right? Because this, this place, Ono, is a lush area. It's a nice place to retreat. you got to think about Nehemiah. He's been working relentlessly. This would be a good chance to get away from the work in the city. And he's got to be thinking, you know, man, I'm a, I'm a big shot. I get to go meet with the other big shots and have this political meeting. Satan is a master deceiver. This is what Nehemiah does. This is his response. The first thing is discernment, right? Nehemiah says, oh no to oh no, right? He's like, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. No way. Why? Because Nehemiah is discerning. He's not mindless. He knows the enemy's intentions. And throughout this book, you find him using great wisdom. Trusting in God does not mean it's okay to be clueless, right? We don't just walk around going like, just trust the Lord, Fear in the Lord and like, I'm going to take risks. If I die, whatever, I fear the Lord more than... No, we still like have wisdom and we have discernment. Well, where does this discernment come from? Again, he fears the Lord. He prays. His mind is full of scripture. He's not careless. Proverbs 14 says, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Nehemiah knew their intentions were malicious, right? He says, they intended to do me harm. Who knows what they wanted to do to Nehemiah? Maybe they wanted to kidnap him, assault him, kill him. The point is, this is not an innocent meeting. And you can't really teach 
this kind of good instinct, but it seems like every leader kind of has these great instincts, and Nehemiah certainly does. Second thing is he focuses. How many of you know these people? People who are really persistent, people who are really pushy, right? Nehemiah does not give in to pushy people. Not at all. He stays focused. He sends a messenger. Man, how would you like to have that job, right? Uh, hey, Nehemiah sent me. He's not coming because you guys are going to kill him. Peace. I mean, like, that's such a, a goofy thing. He's like, these guys want to kill me. Go send them a message. Are you going to trust that they're not going to do the same to you? And he says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come. This is what I think every mom wishes they could say to their kids. I'm sorry, child. I'm doing a great work. I cannot be bothered right now, right? You can't really <laughs> go away like that. you got to go. Yeah, we can't just send messenger. How many of you guys think maybe Nehemiah is being a little rude, right? Hey, Nehemiah, come meet with us. I can't be bothered. Doing a great work. It seems a bit rude. It sounds a little bit arrogant, right? I'm too busy for that. I'm doing important work. But he is busy. This is true. The work is too important for Nehemiah to leave some 20 miles away. Four times he says no. He is resolved. He keeps his eye on the ball. So application. And I know this is goofy, but I think it's helpful. We got to say oh no to our oh no. Whatever that may be. We have to say no to temptation and the things that divert you and I from our calling. Remember how we fight temptation, right? We just looked at this in Titus in chapter 2. We look to grace because grace teaches us to say no. We remember our calling. Notice how Nehemiah remains focused. There's a big difference in being available to people and being a puppet of people. There's a difference in being a servant of God for the good of people and being a people pleaser. Chuck Swindoll says one of the marks of maturity is the ability to say no without explanation. I think that's really hard for a lot of us to say no without explanation. Spurgeon says it this way. We should have one blind eye and one deaf ear. It's essential to stay focused on biblical priorities. Paul says to Timothy, no soldier gets entangled. And later he tells him to avoid foolish controversies and irrelevant babble. Everyone, Jesus says, has this moment where everyone's looking for him. And he says, let's just go to the next town that I can preach there. For this is why I came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was focused on his priorities. Are you focused on yours? You have to live out of conviction, not guilt. See, conviction comes from the Lord. Conviction comes from God. And guilt comes from people. Guilt comes from our enemy. We cannot live out of guilt. Right? How, how do you guys deal with all of the existing pressure? I mean, oh my goodness, think of the immense pressure of social media. Everyone should have an opinion. And if you disagree slightly with me, well then I'm going to berate you and take you down. How do we not give in to that? How do we stay the course? How do we give a gracious response and showcase mercy? We got to say no to oh no. Second thing we see is slander. Slander. Verses 5 through 9. What they decided to do now is they said, okay, let's start spreading false reports about his motives. So they attack Nehemiah's integrity. They attack his character. They start playing political hardball. 
In verse 5, there's this, they say there's an open letter that meant that everybody has access, right? There's a smear campaign happening. It's like a blog. It's like a posted for everybody to see all over the internet. Again, cancel culture. We're very familiar with this right now, that someone is just trying to assassinate Nehemiah's character. They're trying to take him out. Nehemiah, you're not going to fall into our trap. Okay, that's fine. We'll just cancel you. We'll just cancel you. That's not good, right? Not at all. It says in verse 6, it says, It is reported among the nations. That sounds really official, right? If someone came to me and they're like, Billy, it is reported among the nations that you are a huge loser. I would be really sad, right? That sounds so legit and official. And that's what's happening. According to the reports, what reports? What's happening here? Right in verse 6, they're accusing him of treason. They're accusing him of rebelling against the king. This is a big, big deal, right? Why is it a big deal? Well, if you want to keep your head, you probably don't commit treason. So Nehemiah hears this. He's like, I got no aspirations for that. Not at all. This makes me think of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The report goes on, right? In verse 7, it says, you even have prophets. And so they say, come, let us take counsel, right? Let's get together. Let's go through this. We'll work it out. Like these reports are really bad. This is manipulation. These are threats and fear mongering. How does Nehemiah respond? When false reports are spread about you, Right? There's not a lot that you can do except deny them and pray. We submit to God and we press on. That's what Nehemiah does. The first thing he does is he immediately denies the rumors. And he immediately says in verse 8, he says, this is not reality, right? He refutes them. And I think this should be a lesson for all of us. We should believe nothing until we hear from the source. We should believe nothing until you hear from the source. Again, We are living in the day and age of cancel culture where it seems like everybody wants to take everyone out and no one wants to actually hear the other person. We should not be those who let our ears be tickled by rumors and gossip. Rumors are filled with exaggerations which are normally fueled by someone's fear. Nehemiah's building the wall. Now he's going to build an army. He's going to go kill the king. Rumors lead to deep personal hurt. Don't play the rumor game. Guard your tongue and speak to the source. He knows why they're spreading these lies. They're doing it to intimidate, to cause the work on the wall to cease. So what does he do now? He prays. He says, God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah is praying all throughout this book. Over and over, he's going to his great God. He prays, strengthen me. He doesn't say, God, change the situation. He says, give me strength to endure. And God does. I think back to a sermon I heard from Matt Chandler where he talks about praying this way before you go into the office or catch this when you get home before you leave your vehicle and go inside to your home. That we would be praying, preparing our hearts, saying, God, strengthen my hands to do your work. Strengthen my character to be a person of resolve. God never told us that following Jesus would be easy. Not once. But he does promise to empower us and strengthen us. 
We're going to face opposition for living a godly life. And we all share a common enemy. We go to battle in the Lord's strength, with the Lord's weapons. And Paul prayed that the Ephesians would be strengthened, right, in the inner man. And that is our prayer for each other, that we would be strengthened in our inner man. Paul also said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. That's where our strength comes from. Acts 4, 29, and now, Lord, this is when all of them have been beaten, right? This is when Peter and John had been beaten, arrested, and brought back, and now they're before and they're before the congregation. They're facing uncertain days. They're not sure what's going to happen. This is what they pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Would we be a people who endure and pray and seek the Lord? In John Piper's book, The Roots of Endurance, he tells the story of Charles Simeon, who was a lifelong friend and of contemporary William Wilberforce. He was appointed to the Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge in 1782, and nobody liked him. The congregation did not want him, and he was met with opposition over and over again and again. For 10 years, people would go into the church and lock the pews up so that nobody could come and hear the sermon. And he would put out chairs, and people would come and remove the chairs. Yet, he continued on. He visited people regularly. They wouldn't even let him preach in the evening when they actually had control over the service. Despite the opposition, he continued to preach, even if the chairs were empty. He continued to visit the people in his congregation. He continued to press on for 54 years. Eventually, He won the hearts of his people and he left a legacy of faithful expository preaching and a passion for global missions. And he told a friend once when he asked him, why did you put up with this? How could you handle people being jerks like this to you? He said, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. How did he endure? He was patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. A friend lived with him for a few months, and this is how he described Simon's devotional life. He said, Simon invariably arose every morning, though it was the winter season, at four o'clock, and after lighting his fire, he devoted the first four hours of the day to private prayer and the devotional study of the scriptures. Here was the secret of his great grace and spiritual strength driving instruction from such a source and seeking it with such diligence, he was comforted in all his trials and prepared for every day. Are you? How are we going to make it? Every day it seems like there's crippling news. Every moment it seems like, get these kids out my house. Every moment it feels like we're going through it all over again as we see racial injustice and there's this tension going on in our nation and we don't know how to say or what to speak. We see all of the chaos and turmoil. How are we going to make it? I'll tell you this much. If all you're giving yourself is breaking news and not good news, you ain't going to make it. We need the gospel to help us endure. We go on here. Third thing we see is conspiracy in verse 10 through 14. They say, okay, that didn't work. Let's have false prophets threaten him and discredit him, right? So in verse 10, we see Shemaiah, a prophet, shows up who apparently used to be trustworthy or otherwise Nehemiah probably would not have met with him. He is now confined to his bed, probably as an illustration of God's people in fear or Nehemiah who's in danger. And this is the message that Shemaiah gives him. He says, let's meet in the temple. 
They're going to kill you. You need to come meet in the temple with you. How many of you would be like, okay, enough. Like, I was fine with the whole, you know, let's, you know, meet in Ono, or, and you're going to do this smear campaign, but now you're going to just straight kill me? I'm just a cupbearer. Who am I? Why is there a contract killer after Nehemiah? Now, I don't know about you. Would you be the person who would want to run away, or would you be ready to fight? Uh, Shemaiah wants Nehemiah to go inside the temple. Now, why is this a problem for Nehemiah? Why doesn't Nehemiah just say, okay, let's go in the temple and hide out? Well, one, Nehemiah has work to do. The wall is not yet done. It's almost there. Nehemiah has something he's focused on. The second thing is, more importantly, Nehemiah is not a priest. What does that mean? It would be a sin for Nehemiah to go into the temple. He would likely die to be in the presence of God. And if they think they're going to scare him, that he'll just, oh yeah, if he just goes in the temple, ha, we'll get him to sin and we'll get his own people to hate him. King Uzziah tried this in 2 Chronicles 26, and God struck him with leprosy. So you don't play around with this, right? Some of you guys have seen the first Indiana Jones. You know what happens, right? I don't want my face to melt. Like he's no, He knows what's going on. That's obviously fiction. Everyone calm down. I know. What does Nehemiah do, though? How does he respond? The first thing is he has courage. He says, should a man like me run away? This would show, again, if he ran, that there would be a lack of trust in God. It would show cowardice. It would discredit him as a leader. Over and over, we are told in Scripture to not be afraid. Well, why? Why? Because it is God who said it. God is the one who says, don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear the one who can throw the whole body and soul into hell. God is the one who holds your life. He is the one who weaves together the very fabric of who you are. Knowing Him, knowing that this great God spoke you into existence, saved your life, and knowing that He says, He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. Knowing that truth should give us great courage. This past week, my wife and I rewatched one of my favorite films of all time, Big Fish. And I love this movie. It's the story of a man's life in tall tales. And in it, he tells the story of being able to see this witch and looking into her eye and knowing how he would die. And then knowing how he would die, it would give him this overwhelming confidence that whatever he faced in life, he would know what it was that was going to kill him. And so if that wasn't the thing that was going to take him out, then he could live with courage and confidence. How much more can you and I live with confidence, live with courage, because we know the one who holds our destiny in his hand? We should live with great courage. The second response from Nehemiah is faithfulness to Scripture. He knows what Scripture says. He knows that to enter into the temple would be a sin, that this would give him a bad name. Catch this. Nehemiah fears sinning more than dying. He fears sinning more than dying. He fears offending God more than the threats of people. Coram Deo, we must test everything by Scripture. We cannot believe everything we hear, including me, this sermon. We need a gospel filter. See, Nehemiah knows that this is a false prophet because he knows Scripture. You have to know God's word to follow it. We cannot believe everything a person says who has a word from the Lord. We have to see if that word follows God's word or contradicts what the Scriptures plainly say. 
Three, he continues to pray in light of who God is. He says in verse 14, God deal with them. Vengeance is left to God. He trusts in God to remember his good deeds and to execute justice on those who are opposed to God's plans. This is why Nehemiah does what he does. It's not for approval, right? He doesn't want to be trending on Twitter. And it's not like he just loves construction, right? This isn't Bob the Builder. This is Nehemiah the Cupbearer. He's seeking to glorify God. Nehemiah is living with a proper fear of God. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what Proverbs tells us. And Ecclesiastes tells us it's also the end of wisdom. So it is the beginning and end of wisdom. So fourth, what we see now as we move on to this last point, the last kind of scheme that they're working with here is pressure, right? Now they're saying, well, let's work from within the community. So we jump down to verse 15, and guess what happens here? The wall is built. Mission complete, right? This had to be thrilling for everyone to see these ordinary people in the face of opposition rose up to build this wall in just 52 days. Notice how anti-dramatic this is, right? It's just some guy's summary. Yep, we did it. We built the wall. Cool. You know, you would think that there would be this huge celebration, but there's not. Because the bigger challenge to building the wall is building the people. That's what we're going to begin looking at next week. At the end of verse 15, we see that the people were afraid. That is, they stood in awe. They were perhaps nervous about the implications of what this meant. They had built the wall and and they were wondering, you know, if these people can do this in 52 days, what might this mean for us? And then in verse 16, we see how it was done. It was done with the help of our God. Nehemiah knows where the credit goes. The enemy doesn't just stop here, right? Now we see this character, Tobiah, who's going to be causing problems all throughout the book. I mean, he's going to be here until chapter 13. And here it seems that he had a profitable trading agreement with the upper class in Jerusalem and was linked with the wealthier families by marriage. And Nehemiah is aware that these letters that are going out are intended to arouse more fear. But again, here's the key for Nehemiah. Nehemiah fears God more. Grace has taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. What fears do you have? What is it that keeps you up at night? God is greater. Listen, if you lead anything, you're going to face pressure constantly, right? Leaders know what I'm talking about. If you run a business, a school, a home, a church, you know the kind of pressures and sacrifices it brings. Time money, bearing the offenses of others, you will be criticized for not doing the things you tried to do and for doing the things you didn't do. It didn't take long for me in church planning to quickly learn that ministry, y'all, it ain't just work, it's warfare. Nehemiah is aware. He's discerning. He's resolved to persevere in the face of the enemy's plots. Now we are looking into chapter 7, and we're going to see his perseverance, that he doesn't just stop with the wall, but he starts to focus his attention on repopulating Jerusalem. But let's just kind of look back real quick at where we've been as we look at chapters 1 through 6. What have we learned so far about Nehemiah's desire to work for the glory of God? Well, one, opposition is inevitable, right? You attempt to do anything for the good of others and the glory of God, and you're going to face opposition. Two, sacrifice is inescapable. 
right? It's quite obvious, but you need to see how hard these people worked. Holy ambitions involve great sacrifice. Three, teamwork is essential. Nehemiah did not build this wall alone, but with others. Four, prayer is effective. All through this letter, he is praying. We need to learn from that, y'all. We just do. His humility, his perseverance, they're directly tied to his prayer life. Five, God is invincible. Great is thy faithfulness hangs over Nehemiah. Man, and that's our story, isn't it? Not great is my faithfulness, but great is his faithfulness. Nehemiah knows who is his God, right? He knows who his God is. Now we look at chapter 7, and we see the invincible, faithful God preserving his people. And as we just kind of look at chapter 7, right, we're not going to read it this week, but if you just glance over you're going to see all these different names. And it's important to know this, that a repopulated Jerusalem with all of these, these, these Jewish families coming back is significant because from them will come the one who will crush the head of the serpent. Like Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus's life and ministry was not easy though, was it? At every turn, the Lord Jesus was met with opposition. As a baby, right? Remember, as a baby, Herod tried to kill him. He was rejected in his hometown. He was accused of being a lawbreaker. He was put under surveillance. His own family thought he had lost his mind. He was the subject of all kinds of rumors and gossip. He was openly slandered. He was accused of being a fraud. He was accused of being in league with the devil. He was unjustly incriminated. He was betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends. He was publicly ridiculed. He was beaten and tortured. and He was put to death. The closer he got to finishing the mission, the greater the opposition became, the greater the fears became, as he fell to the ground anticipating the horrors of Calvary, because Jesus endured and triumphed. Friends, we can endure our oppositions, because he overcame. Our greatest fears have been removed. In his strength, we endure all the other fears the enemy wants to throw our way. Right? Hebrews 12.3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider the Savior. Go to him in the midst of warfare. We endure through him. Let's pray. God, you are faithful, you are good, and you cause us to endure. Help us, Lord, as we face opposition each and every day to remain steadfast and grounded in you. You are so good to us, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Unite our hearts to fear your name, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.